0: Good morning and welcome to Renaissance Church. My name is Christian, and I want to say welcome to all of you who uh, are regulars here. It's good to be with you this morning. And I know there are some new folks here, maybe for the first time. Uh, I want to extend a special welcome to you. Uh, If you are a person who comes to this church and you invite someone to join you, Uh, In a way, you really help us do what we're meant to do, which is to be a place where friends and neighbors come. Uh, This morning, my son, who's in the third grade, invited his neighbor down the street to join him at church, and they showed up. Before the first service, I and, and the staff and musicians, we pray in the back here, and Nate, that's my son, and his friend were up in the balcony while we were praying, and I heard his friend ask, what are they doing? He was sort of peeking over. And then my son said, they're praying. And then he added, this is my church. And his friend said, this isn't so bad. (laughs) So there you go. Welcome to the church, which isn't so bad. (laughs) Um, I'm serious. Invite people. Invite people. I'll tell you why. God wants us to be close to him. Uh, First and foremost, because of how good it is for us and for the world around us. That's what God is like. God wants us to be near and to have the joy that we sang about, the kind of rest and peace that comes only when you're close to him. Uh, Some of us know well what it's like to be close and to have that joy. Others know what it's like to be far. This morning, we're going to look at the story of Christmas again, one scene in it. And we're going to look at it uh, in such a way that we'll see two things. Uh, we'll see on the one hand a promise and on the other hand a warning. And the promise that we'll see in this story is a promise for those who are far off. And the promise is simple, that if you would go seeking after God, you'll find him. We'll see that promise. And then right beside it, there's also a warning in this story we'll look at, and that is a warning for those who are close. It is the warning that says it's possible to be very close to God and know all about him but still miss him completely. And we see both of these in the story of Magi and Herod. And I'm going to put this before us and then give us some challenges in the hopes that those of us who are far would be encouraged by the promise to come near and those of us who are near would be encouraged by the challenge to not miss him and then, tell me if I'm right, I guess that while there's people in one group and the other, that a lot of us are in both groups. Uh, Do you know what I mean? That it's possible to be both close and far at the same time. Any of you know what that is like? Uh, For me, that was my life in college. So I want to tell you a little bit about me in college. Uh, I grew up in a youth group uh, as a kid, and I loved it and I went off to college at Rutgers, and I had very little and maybe even nothing to do with the church and with uh, people who were interested in God after I went off to college. Uh, I I loved um, my first year. It was great. My second year in school, I found myself in my minor, philosophy, and really loving to learn philosophy. Uh, Do I have any other, like, you're like, philosophy, boo, so boring. There's one. Philosophers would never admit it anyway, so yeah, I know you're with me. You're just being quiet. So my second year in college in philosophy, I, I have this professor, Bruce Wilshire, and he gives the class an assignment. He says, I, I want you together now to think about God and the existence of God, and I want you to consider, could you argue for the existence of God from a philosophical perspective? And then he asks another question, or could you argue against the existence of God? from a philosophical perspective. This was really the first time uh, since I was in high school that I started to think again about God, and really the first time that I started to think deeply about God. He gave us the following exercise one day in class. He asked for two groups of volunteers, and I was a volunteer. One group had to argue in front of the entire gathering for the existence of God from a philosophical perspective. The other group had to argue against the existence of God. I was in the second group. And after we spent about 15 minutes preparing our arguments, each group selected a spokesperson. And guess who was the spokesperson against the existence of God? It was me. And so the first group presented, about 100 students. Everybody listened intently. And then it was my turn. And I stood before that class as a sophomore in college... And I argued against the existence of God, and then the professor decided to take a vote amongst the students to see who would win, and I won. And that was a bittersweet victory for me. I went back to my room that evening, and when, I, I, when my head hit the pillow, I felt uneasy in a way that I'd not felt in a really long time. And here's why. Why? Because the argument which I had made, which was convincing to the class, there alone in my room, well, it started to seem convincing to me, too. I started to wonder, is God real? Or is it just something that I kind of made up when I was in that phase of my life? And that was a very unsettling thought to me. And I'll tell you, because I had known years of being close to God, but now this question, well, it frightened me. I wonder if any of you in here have ever found yourself asking that question. I'm sure some of you have come, and I hope this is true, uh, with the kind of questions that are much heavier than faith. You are someone who says, yes, I've often wondered about it, and I still do. Not me. There I was in a place where I I had had faith, and I was asking these questions. Now, this is remarkable. In that moment, as I was lying in my bed anxious, a memory came into my mind. It was like a flash of lightning in the dark. All at once, I recalled a saying of Jesus that I had heard when I was a high school kid. It just sort of flashed into my mind to remember something that a youth group leader had shared with me about what Jesus had said. I want you to look at it up here. It's from the Gospel of Matthew in the 7th verse of the 7th chapter. It's recorded that Jesus said this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, And the door will be opened to you. In that moment, I felt like, well, if there is a God, it feels an awful lot like maybe he's saying something to me right now. That's a very clear bit of guidance from Jesus. He goes on to say, and this is verse 8 For everyone who asks receives. This is a promise. And everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. These words were a promise from Jesus to people who, like I was, were searching. Like many of us are in some ways close, but in other ways far. And when I thought of it, well, I went from thinking right into a prayer. In that moment, I said a prayer to the God that maybe wasn't there as far as I was concerned. Has has anyone else ever done that? God, if you're there, that was me. I said, if you're there, I am asking you to give me some sign. Would you give it to me? I'm knocking. There's a door now that's in front of me that wasn't there before. Would you open it if you're real? I'm searching for you. Would you let me find you? It was simple. It was sincere. After I said it, I fell asleep. The promise that Jesus gave, which inspired my prayer then, is in the story of the Magi at Christmas time, illustrated in a very dramatic and simple fashion. And I want you to look at it with me now so that you and I all together can see the promise that is in this story for those who are far, for those who are searching, whether in college or in Renaissance church today, or some time down the road. The promise that if we search, we will find. Let's start by looking at the story and seeing what it has to tell us about what happened with these. Magi In verse 1 of chapter 2 in Matthew, here's how the Christmas story begins. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage." The way the Christmas story is told by Matthew is as if it's an account of historical events. This is not presented as a kind of made-up story that has a good moral, which if you just look through the details, you'll find it. No, it's actually unfolded as if it's something which really happened. The birth of Jesus happened at a specific time, in the time of King Herod. King Herod is a real man. You don't have to just read about him in the Bible. You can look in the history books and see that the Roman Empire had installed a governor over this region at that time and his name was Herod. He was a despicably mean man. It's in other records. You see it in the scriptures too. But the story takes place in a real time. And these travelers that we read about, well, they make their way to a real city, the city of Jerusalem. Maybe some of you have actually visited that place. It's easy when you read about it in the Bible to imagine just a made-up place, but it's a real city. And these travelers who come to this real city at this real time, they're guided on their quest by a star at its rising. That's what they say astronomers have advanced through the ages a number of very plausible explanations for what actually happened there in the sky. Perhaps it was the conjunction of planets and so brilliant and bright they called it a star. Maybe it was a supernova, an explosion that was visible to the naked eye. Maybe it was a comet of some kind. But whatever it was, the story is presented in such a way that there is something which can be seen if one's eyes are open which will guide that person to the birth of this child. This fourth fact is extremely critical. Listen to this. In the story, what we discover is that even though these travelers come from very far away, they are able to actually find the child there and they know who he is. They receive him with joy as their king. In the text, they're called wise men. In Greek, the word is magi. And that's the, our English word magic comes from that word. Not because these guys did tricks, but because they were men whose eyes were opened to the transcendent, to the otherworldly, who were tuned in in some measure to the divine, to the ultimate. And, and, and not only in the Bible do we read about magi, they're also all over the history books. The Persian Empire had magi. The Greeks, the ancient Greeks wrote about magi. The Medes and the Zoroastrians, all of these cultures had men and people who were called magi who were in one way or another people with their eyes open to the ultimate and who were seeking. Individuals who when they paused... And they took a step back from the busyness of their lives. They gazed into the heavens and their heart told them there is more in this world than just me. That there is in this magnificent spans of stars above the fingerprints of something beyond me. That's what magi were. They were men and women who looked into the heavens and thought there's got to be more than just me and what I know. There was something in their hearts that drew them and they were men who were seeking and were asking and were knocking. And here's where the promise of this story comes very clearly to me. And I hope to you too. It is the promise that if you seek God, he will give you what you need to find him. That if you knock on a door that is before you, that is there keeping you from this relationship, if you knock, the promise of this story is God himself will open it. If you search, you will find. And if these men from the east, and by the way, that means Mesopotamia or Arabia, they are without question, Complete and total outsiders to the people of God. When this story was first told, the people of God who lived in Jerusalem, if you ask them what is true about the people from Mesopotamia and Arabia, one thing for sure they'd say, oh, they're impossibly far away from God. And yet in this Christmas story, we see that they are the ones whose eyes are open in such a way that they find their way to God Himself, and they're the ones who receive Him. Do you see it? There's a promise there for everyone who's far. I to put that on hold for a moment, we're going to come back to it, and I want you to see that not only is there a promise for those who, who are far, but there's also a warning for those who are near in this story, because not only do we read about Magi from the east, we also read about Herod, who is in this time the king of those people who are God's people. And not only him, but the chief priests. They're the most religious and closely connected to God in this time. And the scribes, they are experts in the law. They are the exact opposite of the Magi. They are not only uh, not far, but they're as close as anyone could be. And look what happens with them. Verse 3. When King Herod heard this, that is when he heard from these outsiders that the Messiah had come, he was frightened. And all Jerusalem with him. Gosh, fear is almost the exact opposite of joy, isn't it? But here he is afraid. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, that is the religious insiders, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Now he asked them for a very simple reason. The scribes were experts in the words that had come down through the ages to God's people. They were the ones who had received the Torah, the way that came through Moses. They had the writings, they had the wisdom literature, they had the poetry, they had the history, they had the prophets. And in the prophets, well, for many generations, the birth and the advent of a special anointed figure of God's people had been predicted. There had been tales told of a Messiah who had come, an anointed one who would finally deliver the people. And knowing that, because he was someone who had the scriptures, he asked them where. And in verse 5, they answer. Look at what it says. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel, that is a word from the prophets that say, yes, there will be one who is born, who will lead the people, and he will come from Bethlehem. This is a word that comes from the prophet Micah. And in this story, in our scene here, in this part of the Christmas narrative, the men who have these words are the ones who are supposed to be as close to God as anyone could be. And not only do they have these words from Micah that we've just read, they also have many other prophecies in the Old Testament. It's remarkable. By the way, you could do this yourself. Investigate how the, the, the scriptures of the Hebrews actually have promises of God's coming. Do you know that even the star and its rising is described? In Numbers 24, there's a, a picture there of how there will be an anointed ruler who comes out of Judah and it will be a sign in the heavens that the star will come. These men had those words and yet... And this is the warning. And yet, they miss God's arrival in the most egregious way imaginable. The reason that Herod is looking for where the baby is going to be born, it's not so he can come and honor him and receive him, but so he can kill him. This is like, not very Christmassy. But Herod, I mean, this is awful. Herod wants to know where the baby's gonna be born so that in that region, he can pass an edict that all children around that age will be killed. And he does. That's the length to which he goes to prevent God's promise from coming about. And he does that, and this is absolutely critical. He does that with the people of God with him as those who are close to God, who know him, who know the scriptures, who ought to have been the ones as far as we can tell, who received him with joy, but they didn't. And there is a warning there. Now, you and, and I, maybe, those of us who are close, and I count myself as close these days, we might be able to think in our own minds of others who say they're close to God, but by their actions show how very far they are. Haven't you got a list of people like that if you're close? I do. It's fun to look at it. It makes me feel good about myself. <laughs> right? And King Herod goes right on that list. Oh, but, but every one of us who are close, we must beware... It is only by God's grace that I am not Herod. In a symbolic way, I might want to remain king and not to let this one become king of my life. This is a warning for those of us who are close that stands right beside the promise for those of us who are far. And if I may, if you, like me in college, have a little bit of both, well, then there's a promise for you and a warning for you too. The promise is that if you still find places where you're far, go searching, you'll find him. Because that's what God is like. He he wants to be found. And if you're close, well, there's a warning. Be careful that you don't miss him. And here I want to set aside the Christmas narrative for a minute and I want you to just be right here in this place with yourself wherever you are, whether you're far or near and I have some challenges that I want to give so that this message is not just me trying to inspire you or say some nice things or moving things but rather it comes to you right where you are with a definite and real and specific challenge and I'll tell you why I want to challenge you because I want you I want you to come close to God and I myself want to be close to him and so here are my challenges The first three are for those who are mainly far away from God. If it's you, tune in. Here we go. The first challenge for those who are far is this. Tell God you are searching. And this I mean very specifically, say whatever way you pray a simple prayer to God that says, I am looking for you. If you feel far away, tell him. If you're not sure he's there, say that. Say the kind of prayer that I said in my sophomore year of college. If you're real, would you help me find you? I'm looking for you. If you're there, would you make yourself known? That's number one. I challenge you if you're far away from God, either altogether or in part, to sometime this evening have a prayer like that. That's number one. Here's challenge number two. And this is very specific. Read the book of Matthew. The the, the Bible is comprised of many books, the New Testament, the first book in the New Testament is the book of Matthew, it's the one from which this story comes, and my challenge, secondly to those of you who are far, is to choose to set aside an hour and a half, and sit down and read straight through the entire book. Before you read, listen, do not try to read it on your device, because you'll get a social media alert, and then you'll stop reading, okay? Okay? Find a a Bible without batteries and then sit down and say this kind of prayer. Say, God, if you are real, while I read, would you help me see something that that draws me close to you? Some of what you read will be confusing. Some will you'll disagree with it. Other parts, though, you'll see something there that will say, wow, this actually touches a part of my heart and soul that seems like it's been asleep forever, There's something about this man, Jesus, that moves me. I know this will happen. Do it. Read through the entire thing. That's challenge number two. And here's challenge number three. It's related to the second one. Challenge number three is to reach out for help. That is, when you start doing this, you'll have lots of questions, and what I'd ask you to do is to write them down and then reach out to someone. It can be someone from this church or another person you know who has faith who's further along than you, and just ask them, would you be willing to help me? I have some questions. I'm looking for God, and I have some questions. Would you help me in this search? Now, I want you to know this. Please listen. If you would do this, I believe that you will find the truth of the promise that I've read to you earlier, which is if you seek, you will find. I know this from experience. If you think that I'm overly optimistic, you're completely wrong. Uh, Years ago, I was in a church where, where... Early on, this young man came up to me and said, I'm here with my fiance. I just want you to know I'm an atheist. I don't believe any of this stuff, but she believes, and so it's important to her that I come, and that's why I'm here. I said, oh, great. Nice to meet you. I I, I said, tell me a little bit about yourself. I went to John Hopkins. I studied engineering. I am a scientist. That's why I don't believe. I said, fair enough. Not long after that conversation, a friend of mine from that church also started talking with him and gave him the exact same challenge that I've just given to you. He said, Tom, that was his name, how about you read the gospel of Matthew, write down your questions and the two of us will talk about it together. Well, they started doing that. They met at a diner once a week, they read through it and what happened over the next three months is all of the doors that were closed in front of faith for Tom began to open. All of the things that he was searching for began to one after another bit by bit become plain and this day, today right now, he, is an, he, he works in administration at a church serving God week after week with this joyful and vibrant faith. Why? Because when you search, he will make himself findable. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah, well, you might not think so, but I do. (laughs) Here's the challenge for all of those who are close, okay? This is for me, too. Three Three of them for us. Here's the first challenge, which comes through this narrative. Challenge number one is keep awake. You, you can be close to God and, and love him and have this brilliant experience of him and then before long you can be spiritually asleep. I'm speaking the truth, aren't I? Some of you know it from experience, right? Oh, it's very easy for that to happen. In some way, the, the sort of dramatic expression of sleepiness is in the horrors that, that Herod and the people around him enable to happen. It doesn't always have to be so dramatic, but the truth is, for you and for me, when we start to believe and trust and come close to God, it's very easy for us to fall asleep spiritually. And so my challenge is keep awake. And how you keep awake? Well, be here. Turn your mind on during the time that we're together in worship. Read the Bible on your own. It's not just for people who've never read it. Read it again. Continue to search on your own. Keep looking. Stay awake. That's challenge number one. Challenge number two is very particular to what happens with Herod. It is, let... God be king. Uh, It's not just sleepiness that affects those who are close. It's the mistaking of who's in charge. Uh, I can come to faith and believe and then very easily forget who's the one who is meant to be sitting on the throne of authority of my life and the lives of people around me. Now let me ask you, have you ever encountered that Christian person who's awfully judgmental of others, always looking for what other people are doing wrong? Have you ever seen that? Yeah, that's a person who believes they're the one who's on the throne of authority. They're the king. They're not. Before you get too judgmental about that person, maybe that's you. I mean it. We need to keep alert and then be willing to let God himself be king because the true king has come in Jesus and he's not the kind of king that we would have expected. He's not coming with a scepter and power and might and fright, but rather with love and approachability and gentleness. He comes as a baby. There he is. Let him be king. That's the second challenge for those of us who are close. And then there's one other one. And this one, I'm absolutely certain, is very personal for some of us. The third challenge for those who are close is trust God with those who are far off. I know I'm right. Some of you in here have beloved family members who are really far away from God and you're afraid for them. Am I right? That you're anxious for them, that they're so far away. It might be your brother or your cousin. It might be your spouse who's really distant. The very first Sunday I ever came to Renaissance, one of the first people who greeted me said, I'm glad you're here. I'm happy to be a part of this place. My spouse won't come. And I saw pain in his eyes. And I know that for some that's a painful thing. It might be a, a sibling. It might be your spouse. It might be your children. Oh, I know that. I hear it every single week. I do. Every single week, I hear some parent here at Renaissance say, my child is so far from God and I'm afraid for them. This story challenges you, listen, to trust God with that person who is far. Why? Here's why. Because God will give everything that's needed for that person to come to him. You are not in control of the stars, but God is. You are not in control of that other person's life. God himself holds him or her in his capable hands. Trust him. That doesn't mean be complacent or give up. No, keep on loving. Keep on praying for that person. Speak to God about them, but trust that God is capable to hold in his own hands those who are very far away from him. Let's decide together as a church to trust and hope for that for all of the people in our spheres of influence who are very far would you do that with me if you're a part of Renaissance? That's what I want to do as your pastor. Who, who should we believe that for? We should believe that for people who have lots of questions and who are here. We should believe it for people who have lots of questions and are not here. We should believe it for people who are close to us and will never come. We should believe it for people who are close to us and will come. We should even believe it for college sophomores who are able to convince 100 students that God doesn't exist. Even Even guys like that, are able to be brought near by God. (laughs) So about a week after I made that prayer, the one where I said, God, would you please give me some sign? I was walking to the cafeteria uh, with my roommate and friends. Any uh, Rutgers students here? Davidson Dining Hall, do you remember that? Terrible. (laughs) Now listen, it might have improved a lot since I was there, but it was bad, but that's where we went. I'm walking to Davidson with my friends and as I approach the door, there's a man sitting at a table right beside the door and he's got a little sign on his table and he's questioning students as they walk in. He speaks to my roommate. Hey, would you like to take a survey? My roommate looks at the sign, says no, chuckles and keeps walking. I look at the sign. It says, do you believe in God? And he asks me, do you want to take a survey? I say no. I'd forgotten about my prayer. I walk into the cafeteria. I go around through the hallway. I find my way to a table. I set my backpack down and then all at once, I remember what I had just prayed the week before. I sit there stunned silence like stare mode. You know stare mode? I'm like, my roommate says, are you okay? I shake my head and I look at him and I say, well, I say a lie. I forgot my card back in the dorm. I've got to go get my meal card. So I didn't want to admit that I wanted to go take the survey. I hustle out. I walk Past the guy at the table, I decide if they see me stop here, well, then I'll be embarrassed. So I walk all the way back to my dorm room pretending that I need to get my card. The whole while, my head is spinning. I cannot believe that man was there. I come all the way back. There he is. I say, I'd like to take your survey. I get the card. Do you believe in God? That's question number one. I write, maybe. Question number two, do you have lots of questions? Yes, lots. Question number three, would you be interested in joining a Bible study with other students who are searching? Yes. And tell us your mailbox number. I write it down, I drop the card in. Listen now, This I'm gonna tell you the truth. If you search, you'll find because that's what God is like. God wants us to find him. And not just back then with stars in the sky, but even today with men and their surveys and any other way that God chooses to use, God Himself chooses to make himself findable when we go searching for him. Why? Well, the Christmas story makes it plain enough for us. It's an astounding claim. Jesus is God with us. Jesus is Emmanuel because in Christ, God himself has come right up close and he dwells in the world that you and I find ourselves in. Not just then, but even today, the Christians have a very uh, beautiful and meaningful word for this. You've heard the term incarnation, perhaps. It's a central doctrine for Christians. It comes very plain in the story of Christmas. If you've never understood it, let me try to make it plain. Incarnate means with flesh on. It's a Latin phrase. It's meant to capture the truth which comes through this story and is at the very heart of what we Christians believe. It is that the God who is altogether transcendent, the one upon whom the entire universe depends for its being, chose to leave transcendence behind and become imminent so that he would be found within the creation as himself God with us in this child. Incarnate means that God chose to put flesh on in part so that when we go searching he can be found. It's remarkable when you open the the New Testament and look there for the descriptions of Jesus. He is the one who was with God in the beginning. He was the word with God and was God. He became flesh and dwelt among us. That's how John says it. In the book of Hebrews it tells us he is the exact image of, of God himself. The very imprint of the divine being. In Colossians it says he is the one in whom The fullness of deity chose to dwell bodily. When John uh, recorded his gospel, he, he said that Philip asked Jesus, would you show us the Father? And Jesus said, here I am. All of this is to say, in Jesus Christ, God has come right down into the world that you and I inhabit so he can be found. And he did this by emptying himself of his majesty and he did it for one reason, because he loves us so much that he would not be okay with us still being at a distance, whether we're at a distance in the Far East or whether we're at a distance in the church that we're sitting in right now this morning. God is with us so that we can be with him and discover him so that we can find him and receive him, so that he can be our king, so that he can become the one who who rules in our lives, so that we are free, utterly, and full of joy, so that we can finally have the life that we were meant for. So that when we go searching, we can find him. So that we can ask today, this evening, God, would you help me find you? And he'll give us everything we need. So that even the college student who's on his way to the cafeteria, can have everything he needs to find God. It was another week after I filled out that survey that I was on my way to the mailbox, uh, and I was hoping to find a letter from my girlfriend at Villanova. No letter. Boo. (laughs) But there in the box is a handwritten note. I take it out, and it's from a guy named Brian. Christian, I thank you for filling out my survey. Turns out there are four other guys who live in the same dorm as you do and who are in fact on the same floor who are also interested in a Bible study. It will be hosted in the room across from yours on Wednesday evenings. Would you like to come? I couldn't believe it. I thought it was a joke. I didn't know any of the kids who lived in my dorm or even a tiny bit interested in Christ. Turns out they were all pretending they weren't just like me. The first Wednesday I arrive We sit down, and Brian opens the Bible and says, Guys, we're going to read and talk about it together. Guess which book he picks. Try it out. Matthew. He picks Matthew. We read through this story and others, and we talk about it with each other. Weeks go by, and we come to chapter 7. And I got to tell those guys in that room, and Brian too, how the promise that Jesus made there seemed to me to be true. I told him about how it led me to him and into that room. It's amazing. I didn't answer all my questions. I still had many of them, but it moved me forward toward God in a way that I I have to say, in part, is why I'm here right now. At the end of the semester, in fact, now I was a sophomore. I was convinced that I would continue in philosophy and physics. At the end of that semester, Brian took me aside and he said, Christian, I want you to know I'm so glad you were in this group with me this year. You have a real knack for understanding scriptures and talking about them to other people. And then he paused and he said, you know, I think you should consider the possibility that one day God would call you into ministry. I thought to myself, this guy's insane. (laughs) And here I am. The promise is if you seek, well, God will allow you to find him. Let's be individuals in a church that is seeking. And the warning is don't be asleep. Don't think just because you're close that you don't have to keep searching. Keep your eyes open and let him be the true king. And what if you do that? Well, if you do that, well, guess what? You'll be with him, the one who has come to be with you. And then you'll know the joy that you were made for, and we will know the joy that we were made for. Now let's pray as we keep searching. God, I thank you right now for Brian who chose to set up that table at Rutgers all those years ago. I thank you for answering my prayer when I asked you to give me some sign and I thank you that in your way it led me to this place today and I thank you that I'm here. I thank you because in this place I get to think with others that you've drawn together, men and women who are in one way or another searching. I get to think with them about your like and I pray that through this time that we've spent that you would be drawing somewhere very far away to come and search for you and that you would make yourself known to them. Relieve us of anxiety for those who are close to us but far from you. God, hear us as we lift their names in our hearts right now to you. Would you draw them close to you? And then those of us who are close, would you become the king of our lives again? Would you be born in us so that you reign and rule in us so that we can have the joy that we're meant to be as your true people? God, be with Renaissance Church on this journey and help us bring others along so that many can find you and know you and regard you as the true king, receiving you like the Magi did long ago. We pray for this in Jesus' name, amen.